Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast series brought to you by STM. We believe that the best way to communicate with anyone is to make them feel something, and that the best way to do that is through the power of stories. And so in this series, we celebrate stories that matter. And in this episode, I was thrilled to chat to the fabulous Claire Pooley, an author now read and published in over 30 countries. But it wasn't always so. During our chat, Claire talks to me about how a blog she wrote secretly about an addiction she had was the springboard to a whole new life. We also talk about what stories mean to her and where she finds the inspiration to write such powerful fiction. I hope you enjoy it. Claire, fantastic to see you. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this episode of of Stories That Matter. I'm delighted that you're here. I will say also, just uh, for anyone that is listening, you you and I um, did share an industry once in advertising and we had have spent some time together. And I, I think from memory, one of the one of the last things I remember about you is you and I spending a lot of time together tutoring on courses, um, attempting in the bar time that we had um, to, to, to attempt to find out who could tell the filthiest joke. And I, see, <laughs> and I seem to remember, if my memory serves me correctly, that you won hands down. Um, that's very kind of you, Gary, because I seem to remember that you won. Uh, but I do remember that both of us were incredibly competitive about it. <laughs> anyway, many, many, many years on from that, you find yourself in in having had a, a an amazing last few years, um, having done all sorts of things and uh, now published three um, uh, fantastic books. But it's not the books I want to start with, really, because, as you know, this uh, this podcast series is called Stories That Matter. And although you are now have embarked very successfully on a career of storytelling, you've got a, 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 a really interesting story and a profound story to tell, actually, about how it all started. So if I may, I'm going to take you back to March 2015. And I'd love you to tell us about that period in your life and, and what happened and, you know, what came from that. Sure. Um Okay, so uh, 2015, seven years ago, um, if, you, if you had looked at my life from the outside, if you'd looked at my life on Instagram or Facebook or any of those things, it would have all looked pretty perfect. You know, I, I had um, three kids, I had a nice home, I had a good marriage, um, you know, I had a good career, um, and everything looked like it was it was running along smoothly. Uh, but the reality was very different because actually I had a secret and rather um, rather terrible addiction to alcohol. Um, and it had started very much like everybody does, you know, having a large glass of wine at the end of the day to relax. And it was me time and it was, you know, it was a time that that I had away from the kids and away from work and all of that. And um, over time, my tolerance grew and one glass became two glasses and two glasses became three glasses. And I had really big glasses, <laughs> Gary. <laughs> so so three big glasses is actually a whole bottle. Yeah. So I was drinking by this stage um, and it took me a long time to admit this to myself, but I was drinking about 10 bottles of wine a week, um, yeah. which was having a huge impact on my life. So it it meant that 
you know, I, ha I was a terrible insomniac. Um, I used to wake up at about three o'clock in the morning, almost every night, sort of hating myself. Um, I was really overweight. I was, I, I was completely stuck in a rut. You know, I felt like my life had, had got, it got stuck somewhere. It wasn't going anywhere. Um, I felt like I was a really bad mother. I was really bad tempered uh, much of the time with the kids. And I spent the whole time sort of running away from things like bedtime stories so I could go and open a bottle of wine. Um, and just, and I was anxious a lot of the time. You know, I thought that alcohol made me feel more relaxed, but actually it was just increasing my anxiety levels, um, yes. you know, gradually over time. So I was in a bit of a mess. Um, but uh, I was really, I was far too ashamed to tell anyone what was going on. I didn't want to talk to my friends. I didn't want to talk to my family. Um, I didn't want, certainly didn't want to go to AA. That was all way too scary. Um, but I knew I needed to offload somehow. I knew I had to, to do something. Um, so in the middle of the night, in one of my 3am wake up calls, um, I, um, I decided that the way I was going to deal with this uh, was to write because writing had been my my real joy when I was younger, you know, when I was mm -hmm. a teenager and in my early yeah. 20s before life got in the way. I used to love reading. I love I've always loved reading um, and I used to love writing, but I hadn't written anything apart from PowerPoint presentations <laughs> um, <laughs> and emails for a very, very long time. But I thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those. Um, uh, and then I, so I thought initially, well, maybe I should write a diary. I'll get a little journal and I'll write this diary about what I'm going through. But that seemed a bit old fashioned. And, you know, I thought, well, actually, the modern way of doing this is to write a blog. Um, so uh, I started an anonymous blog. And it was really important to me that it was anonymous because, as I said, I didn't want anyone to know it was me. So I called the blog Mummy Was a Secret Drinker. And I called myself Sober Mummy. And I just started writing every day and I would offload exactly what was going on in my life. I talked about the stories of my past. I talked about my aims for the future. I did a whole load of research. I had a whole load of books stashed under my bed on addiction and um, alcohol and you name it. Um, and I used to blog about the research as well. And I was really doing it for me. It was sort of therapy mm -hmm. and I didn't publicize it because... I'd, again, I wanted it to stay and I wanted to stay anonymous, but um, it sort of snowballed and it went viral in a really extraordinary way. And um, within a year, I'd had uh, nearly two million hits on this blog. And um, and it, it was an extraordinary thing because I discovered that, you know, telling my truth and telling my story um, on this blog helped me it was my way of of um keeping myself accountable and and working out what was going on in my head and yeah. getting through the addiction but it also had this amazing effect on all these people who read it um who told me that reading my story made them feel less alone too and you know helped keep them on the straight and narrow so you know, it had this sort of magical effect. And then to cut a long story short, it uh, I ended up publishing it as a, a memoir called The Sober Diaries. In 2017, that, point, that was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was right at the end of 2017. So yeah. it was pretty much 2018. Um, yeah. And, and did, uh, did, um, just, did, did the process of 
doing the blog, writing the blog. There'll be a lot of people listening to this who probably journal a bit themselves. They probably write themselves for all sorts of reasons. But did, did you find the process of doing that blog helpful to your well-being and 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 you just being able to get that out onto paper was that a cathartic helpful process uh yes for for more than one reason i mean it was it was helpful in that it it feels almost like you're talking to somebody so it, it feels like therapy but in a way that is sort of you know less less immediately exposing um yeah. if you like um and and there's something about putting your thoughts down in pay on paper that gets them under control. I think what a lot of addicts share and a lot of creative people as well is monkey brain. Mm. You know, when your thoughts are going round and round and and yeah. you can't you can't keep them straight. Yeah. And and writing them down really helps that. Um, but it also helps keep you accountable because the problem with addiction is is when you quit drinking or or you know drugs or whatever um you know initially you know why you're doing it and you have loads of determination but a few weeks or a few months down the line you tend to rewrite history in your head you forget how bad it was and it's very yeah, easy yeah, to yeah. think actually I've I've you know I've gone over the top here you know I there was no reason to give up altogether I should have just just been a bit more sensible and of course I can have one drink of course I can have one line of cocaine whatever it is yeah um and actually having it all written down is a really good way of keeping yourself accountable you can go back and read it and think that's why I'm doing what I'm doing yeah and what was the what was the reaction from your family and your friends when obviously it became apparent that you were the anonymous author behind that blog oh uh, you know what the way it came out was really hilarious because um I did um I had a party um uh, about a year after I'd started writing the blog and I did this whole speech at a party at the party um and uh, the next day I wrote my blog and um, I wrote a little bit about the party and a bit about what I said in this speech. And then I got this email and I remember it vividly because I was walking down the King's Road shopping and this email came through and it was from one of the mums um, I knew from the school gate who happened to have been at my party. And yeah. she said, hi, Claire. Um, uh, funny question, but um, I've been reading this blog for like six months and I've been laughing about it with my husband and saying this sounds just like somebody we might know, you know, and it's hilarious and I've been really enjoying it. Um, and uh, and then um, I read today's post and I think it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and did you fess up? <laughs> yeah, well, there wasn't really anything I could say. And uh, um, yeah, so, so event at that point I thought, look you know I'm gonna to have to to put my hand up and um yeah I think there were people were really surprised actually because I was so good at keeping it under wraps I was so good at sort of being the swan on the surface while I was yeah, paddling yeah, yeah. you know massively underneath that I think nobody realized apart from potentially my mother and, and my husband um yeah. you know quite what was going on that's brilliant um and and so that the, there you are. You you have written what's a very personal story for you, and a a, a story that really mattered. Um, and suddenly you find yourself with a book, the 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 blog that then becomes a book, the Sober Diaries, 
uh, is it at that point that you think, wow, I'm pretty good at this. I think I should turn my hand to uh, to it as a full-time career. Um, well, yeah, because, you know, what I love the process of writing. I, um, I, I found it really cathartic. I found I, I got to the point where if I didn't spend um, at least an hour a day writing, I felt edgy. It, it became my new addiction almost. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to carry on writing, but I didn't want to carry on writing about my own life um, because apart from anything else, my kids were getting older. So I have teenagers now and yeah. me writing about my life also necessitates really writing about their lives. And they're, you know, they're, you know how obsessed teenagers are with boundaries. <laughs> Very yeah. much so, yeah. <laughs> so, and, so. and how embarrassing their mum and dad can be. Um, yeah well, yeah so yeah. the last thing they want is is their parents writing about them or anything to do with them yeah. um so I thought okay I'm gonna have to if I want to carry on writing if I want to carry on publishing I'm gonna have to start writing fiction um so so yeah so that's that's what led wow. me on to do that tell me this because it's a question that you know, lots of people will be asking themselves all the time. They say everybody's got a book in them, don't they? Um, and I don't know whether that's true or not. But if if everybody does have a book in them, it's also suggests that everyone has an idea for a book in them. And mm. of course, I think there will be a lot of people listening to this who will be fascinated about, well, where does the idea come from? Because if we fast forward, and I don't want to spoil the surprise for anybody, but of course, in 2018, something extraordinary happens, which is you end up in a as I understand it from, is it a six-way auction? Mm, yeah, well, actually, it, that was just in the UK. There was just in the UK, right? Lots, so it's, lots of different markets. Yeah, a six-way auction in the UK for, for the, your second book. And, and, and at the moment, certainly the one for which you're most well-known, The Authenticity Project, which we're going to come back and talk about. But a six-way auction for an idea for a book. So uh, where did the idea come from? How did you, what, what happens? How do you generate those ideas? And, you know, do you sit down and do you write six down and rule five out because they're rubbish? Does the idea emerge over time? Is it something that you'd experienced in the past? You know, where where did the idea come from, for, for particularly um, the, the Authenticity Project, I guess? Well, the, the idea for that book actually came from the story I just told you. And, and I find that often the best ideas are sparked by something in your own life um and um and basically the story I told you about how writing the real truth about my life led mm. to my life transforming and the people who read it um found their lives transforming that got me thinking well what would happen if other people told the real truths about their lives and also you know I was cognizant of the fact that my life from the outside looked very different from my life from on the inside. So I really wanted to explore, you know, the idea of authenticity and the idea of the difference between the face we portray and who we really are. Um, so, so those things sort of led me to think, well, you know, what would happen if somebody did the same thing? They told the truth about their life um, and, and somebody, you know, and pass that truth on to strangers. Um, and, but I didn't want to do it in um, on the internet the way that I'd done. I thought, actually, what would be fascinating is if somebody told the truth about their life in a notebook using a proper old-fashioned fountain pen. Yeah. Um, because I'm sort of, I'm really interested in handwriting. And, yeah. and I figure that 
if you were in a cafe and you came across a notebook with which somebody had written in by hand, it would be really difficult not to read what they'd written. Yeah, very much uh, so. so. Yeah, and that's where the idea came from. So the idea about a little green notebook, which um, uh, one person, uh, an artist called Julian, uh, writes the truth about his life in, leaves it in a cafe. It's found by the owner who then writes the truth about her life and passes it on. And this book gets passed between six completely different people who all end up meeting each other in in different ways and changing each other's lives yeah so that's sort of it in a nutshell well and and, and i'll do and i'll do the unashamed plug for you because you're too humble to do it for yourself i'm sure but for, for those of you for those people who have not read the authenticity project i would i would absolutely urge you to do so it's a wonderful book and if you don't want to take my word for it, just go onto Amazon and have a look at the number of reviews, uh, which I think is, is is an absolutely extraordinary number, and and the incredible um, insights that you get into the quality of the book if you read those reviews. But it's a book worth reading, and one of the most extraordinary things about it, Claire, that I found was that it, it's it, it what you describe there is actually quite a I don't say simple premise. But 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 a seemingly kind of simple premise with a simple structure, and yet the plot is quite complex. To you know, the idea is quite complex to plot as you go through the book, and I think you do that remarkably. And then, of course, and I won't spoil it for people, but there is a twist. But of course, I certainly didn't, and I've spoken to several other people who read the book. They certainly didn't see that twist coming in any way, shape, or form. And I'm interested to know why you think that is, how you went about plotting the book. And I think importantly, again, no formal training around writing, I suppose, no, no kind of career history of having done it. And yet here you are with a six-way auction for a book that, that, that you shouldn't be that good that quickly. So why? Why? How? Oh, that's very kind of how you. And, no, but how and why? Because that's the thing that, that kind of fascinates me, really. How does that happen? Um. Well, you know what, I I think that writing about your own life is great training for writing fiction because, you know, when when I was writing The Sober Diaries and, and my blog, um, you know, it made, I had to put myself in my own head and tell my own story. Um, and that sort of, I think that gave me um, what publishers would describe as a voice, you know, publishers and agents mm. always say, you know, um, uh, oh, I'm not sure that this author has a voice or this author has a really strong voice. And I always thought, what on earth are they yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Um, and actually what they mean is that as, you know, when you're reading a book, even if it doesn't have the author's name on the cover, you think, oh yeah, I know that that's, uh, um, you know, a, a Jilly Cooper or yeah. that's, uh, you know, because of the way the author talks. And and I think writing about your own life gives you a very strong voice. Mm. Um, and it also gets you used to putting yourself in somebody's head. Um, and and I think I think it was great training, basically, mm. um, coming that because I think by the time I started writing fiction, I'd been writing non-fiction for about two years and I've been writing every day and they say that writing is like a muscle you have to yeah you know you have you have to uh, work at it you have to develop it you have to constantly use it um so by the time I plunged into fiction I'd already 
I'd already laid the groundwork, I think. Yeah, but still, um, but still, you have to have the discipline, the ability, the talent to structure and plot and characterize and all of those things. Where did that come from? Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I they say there are two types of writer, Gary. They, there's the sort of plotter and the pantser. And, and the plotter is somebody who plots everything out in advance. So J.K. Rowling is a famous plotter and she um, creates, has these whiteboards and sort of post-it notes and creates this sort of, you know, a whole very detailed plan before she even starts. And there are a number of people that work that way. And there are just as many, if not more, who are known as pantsers because they fly by the seat of their pants. <laughs> I was going to ask you and... what pants meant. I'm glad you, I'm glad you explained that. I was, the, I was a bit embarrassed thinking, should I know what pantser means? Is that something? <laughs> That's why it's called a pantser. Um, and, and I think, I, I bet you're a pantser too, because I think uh, advertising account people are, are very, you know, are trained pantsers. Yeah. I, 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 sadly, my entire life has been one of being a pantser, actually, uh, as, well as, <laughs> as well as the way I write. But um, Yeah, so, so, so the way writing a novel works if you're a pantser is that, you know, I, I tended to have, you know, I knew what the beginning was. I knew what the end was. I knew some of the key points and who the key characters were. But I left quite a lot of it up just to see what would happen. Mm -hmm. And because I think the most exciting bit about writing fiction is allowing your your characters as they develop to start shaping the plot for you. It's a really, you know, when it's when it's working really well, it feels almost magical. It feels almost like somebody else is telling the story to you and you're just writing it down. It's, you know, it's, it's why people talk about the muse because it feels like it's, coming from somewhere else yeah. and that sounds quite crazy but almost all novelists will understand what that feeling is yeah. um and uh um so so yeah so the twist that you talk about mm. i didn't know was coming um as i was writing um you know and i was getting to know my characters better and better and better i suddenly realized that one of the characters was keeping this big secret from me and i was furious about it actually <laughs> yeah i gave him a really good talking to um <laughs> Uh, but uh, but I didn't know what's happening. And if I had known that this twist was coming, I think I would have accidentally dropped a lot of clues along the way. Mm. But I didn't because I didn't know. And I think that's why the reader doesn't know either. Yeah. Um, I think it's Robert Frost, isn't it, who said um, something like, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader, no surprise in the writer, no surprise in the reader. Yeah, um, very much so. And, 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 and listen, that book is... Certainly no worse for you not having dropped any clues at all. In fact, as you know, it's immeasurably better for it. Um, and, and I guess that's the reason it was such a huge success. Um, t tell me this, because, again, you know, lots of people will, will, will be listening to this thinking, wow, how did, you know, that's an incredible kind of story. And suddenly out of nowhere, you're, you've got a six-way auction going in the UK. You go on to sell an enormous number of copies in 30 countries, I think it is. How surprised were you? Um, God, you know, it's it's really strange because when um, when I was in back in my drinking days um, and my advertising days, I was a real control freak. You know, I constantly tried to plan everything, and I think the reason I was like that is because I knew my life was. If I didn't, my life would go off the rails. So I was trying to keep everything in control and work out what I needed to do and when I needed to do it. And 
after I quit drinking, um, I suddenly found that I was much more in touch with my gut instinct. So I sort of got to the point where I just let my own story unfold and just saw what happened next. A bit like being a pantser when you're writing the plot, you know, Mm. it's like, so I I was open to opportunities, but I didn't try and force anything. I didn't, I just thought, okay, I wonder what will happen next. You know, so I published the Sober Diaries. Then I thought, okay, I'll try writing fiction. I'll see what happens next. And I tried not to look too far ahead or, or, you know, but just see what the universe dropped in my lap. And and you know what? Since I started doing that, the most extraordinary things have happened. Yeah. And I think we spend far too much of our lives trying to control things rather than just being open to whatever happens to come along. Um, and uh, so to answer your question, how surprised <clears throat> was I? Um, oh, I? I mean, I think I was... I'm not sure I would say I was surprised as so much as unbelievably grateful (laughs) at every stage. I just thought, A, I'm just so amazed that this is happening. And B, I I still have this feeling that I'm going to get found out at some stage and (laughs) and it's all going to go wrong. Yeah, I think that's the perennial perennial worry of everybody on the planet, isn't it? That we're all going to get found out at one stage. I will say one two thing. I I checked into a hotel last week and... um, and as I was checking in, I said to the, the I said to the guy checking me in behind the desk, I said, "Oh, you know, beautiful weather today. Um, you know, it's shame it's going to turn, you know, turn tomorrow." And he just looked at me and he said, "You know what? Just enjoy one day at a time, young man." Mm. He said, "Don't worry about tomorrow's weather. Today's beautiful. Just enjoy it." And I thought, "Wow, that's one of the most profound things somebody said to me all year." You know, and uh, yeah, to your yeah, point, and really, it's so true. Um, and I think actually that's that's what being an addict teaches you. You know, I mean the the AA adage is one day at a time. Yeah. And you know, you I got through that first year of not drinking literally by taking it one day at a time. And it does teach you to focus on you know the here and now and mm-hmm. not try and and uh, you know not try and predict the future too much. So I'm sort of enjoying it all while it's happening, but on the basis that, as I said, I do always think, you know, at some point, someone's going to go, oh, God, you know, why, why is, why are people buying these books? They're rubbish. Well, I think, I think on the basis that the number of views on Amazon keeps going up every day, as far as I can see, um, particularly for the authenticity. So I think you'll be fine. Um, I, so. I, I, don't, I don't think you've got any worries. I think now it's just about, can you find the next great idea, which you obviously have found. And I want to come on to talk about, your next book because there's a big moment in your life and I know that it uh, it launched in America yesterday but I, I just want to save that for the end. I just want to touch on now if I can um, obviously the title of this podcast is Why Stories Matter. We have a intrinsic and, and passionately held belief in the power of stories and why stories matter and you know, what, what, what influence and impact stories have on people. And, and we always ask our guests, really, a, a, a couple of very simple questions. In your case, it's a bit more profound. But why do stories matter to you, Claire? What, what, what you know, I mean, we've talked about the role they've played in your life, for sure. But what, why do they matter generally, do you think? Um, can I split the answer into two things, can, uh, fiction and non-fiction? Because I think they, they are both incredibly important but for different reasons um 
I think the reason non-fictional stories, real people stories are important is that um, if you are in a real, in, if, you are in, if you hit a really tough point in your life, like I did, um, it's very easy to feel incredibly alone. And, um, and that was my overwhelming feeling when I realized I had to quit drinking. I felt incredibly alone and I felt incredibly ashamed. And uh, when you discover that somebody else's story is something like your own, there is the most immense power in that. And they most, you know, it feels incredibly comforting and reassuring to know that you are not the only person who has been through this. Um, and also to know that there is potentially a happy ending, you know. So, mm. so, so hear, hearing the story of someone who has been through what you've been through and come out the other end and survived it is one of the most powerful things that we can do for people, which is why authenticity is so important. Yeah. Yeah. Because anything that you're going through, there is somebody out there who has been through a similar thing. And when I started telling this story on the internet, you know, I would tell little details about my life. Like, for instance, I used to have this real fear of cashiers. So um, because I used to think they were judging me and watching how much alcohol I was buying. So I used to rotate where I bought my my wine from so that I wouldn't bump into the same cashier too often. And I confess this on the Internet. And I had people from all over the world saying, I have a fear of cashiers, too, you know, <laughs> which which made me feel like I was let more normal and less weird and made them all feel better. And then I had this woman somewhere in the US who said, I'm a cashier and I do judge you. <laughs> <laughs> that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that's just a small example. But, you know, but telling telling our stories is is one of the most fun, you know, the most brilliant way of helping other people. Um, so so that's sort of nonfiction. And then the reason I think fictional stories are important is, I mean, they also help teach people, make people think about things in different ways. But I think more fundamentally than that, I think as a as human beings, we need to get out of our own heads sometimes. And, um, you know, as an addict, I spent far too much time in my own head and it was a very uncomfortable place to be. And fiction just gives you and whether it's through reading a book or watching a movie or listening to you know, a story on Audible or whatever it is, it just takes you out of your own head for a bit. And that is the most fantastic thing you can do for your mental health. Um, so, uh, you know, we talk about alcohol being, you know, being off your head or out of your head. Yeah. And there are much healthier ways of getting out of your own head than drinking, than drinking. or taking drugs. Yeah, um, fantastic. And fiction, telling stories is listening to stories is is one way of doing that. Um, those answers are so good that I think you should be the host of this podcast from now on. Um, I mean, <laughs> no, I, you're better at it. No, not at, all, not at all. They um, two fabulous answers, and I love the way that you split that into fiction and nonfiction because um, you're so right. You know, listening to and indeed, you know, reading stories of other people's successes in areas that you have no experience of is inspiring and motivating isn't it mm. it gives you that sense that that limitless possibility and 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 you know I hadn't really thought about that taking you out of your own head and uh, it, it's a very powerful thought and um, yeah thank you for that it, it's a really helpful brilliant answer actually um, 
So I just want to take us forward to, as we wrap up, to present day, because I want to give you the opportunity to talk about your next book, which has just come out in the UK 10 days ago. Uh, I think it was 10 days ago. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, and yesterday yeah, in the um, US, yeah, so, so hot off the press. Yeah, exactly. You're not supposed to talk about timeframes on podcasts, but if I do tell people that today's Wednesday, the 8th of June, they'll know that, uh, uh, you know, 10 days earlier. And yesterday in the US, but it's got two yes. titles. Yes. So yes. T- tell me about the book. Um, so in the UK, it's called The People on Platform 5. And in the US, exactly the same book is called Iona Iverson's Rules for Commuting. So very different titles, exactly the same book, uh, but with a few American spellings on the state side. Um, So, uh, yeah, the idea of the book really came about during lockdown because, you know, I found, um, you know, I, I, I found it really hard, as we all did, you know, being stuck in in our individual little boxes and I, I really missed I miss strangers I mean I miss friends and family obviously but I miss strangers too I miss sort of being in crowds of sort of swarming humanity mm. and I, I even missed commuting you know the days when we used to sort of you know have our noses in somebody else's arms yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and I started thinking back to those commuting days and thinking that you know, remembering how I used to see the same people over and over again on my my journey, but because um, there's this sort of unwritten rule of of London commuting, and I believe actually it's the same in uh, you know people who travel into into and out of New York as well. Um, that um, we uh, you never talk to strangers on the train. Yeah. You know, you don't even make eye contact yeah. uh, because that would just be seen to be a bit weird. Um, But what you do do is you sort of imagine what their stories are. So you tell yourself little stories about their lives and you might give them nicknames and um, you sort of, you know, you 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 imagine what their their lives are like. And you probably make heinous assumptions about them as well. (laughs) Um, And and then I thought, well, what would happen if and I think some of the best going back to your question about where do ideas come from? Often they come from that 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 one sentence. What would happen if, you know, what would happen if? you broke that first rule of commuting and you did start talking to the people around you. Now, what might that lead to? Um, and that's really what happens in this, in this book. You know, in the very first chapter, you, you know, people talk about the um, inciting incident, you know, um, uh, in Hollywood, they're always talking about an inciting incident. Yeah. So the inciting incident in the first chapter is that one of the commuters um, who's a banker chokes on a grape and um, nearly dies, he can't breathe. And uh, one of the other commuters gives him the Heimlich maneuver and saves his life. And that one action starts this sort of snowball effect, which gets this group of commuters talking, and they discover that their lives are not at all what they thought they were. Um, and yeah, extraordinary things start to happen. Yeah. So, so and, that's the idea. Fantastic. And how true that is, by the way, that you just don't know you know, you know nothing about the person that you're standing next to, but how interesting might their story be? And and by the way, everybody's got an interesting story, haven't they? I think mm. um, it's so often the case that I meet people and, you know, within five, 10 minutes think, wow, that, that's the most amazing story, actually. Um, and and perhaps they should write a book, I often think, when I talk to people like that. But, um, well, listen, the very, very best of luck with your new book. It is out, so please do... 
um, rush to Amazon or actually the independent bookshop near you um, to, <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to, to, to buy it. Um, and I, I really hope that one day I should be sitting down to Netflix, Apple TV, maybe BBC iPlayer um, or, or indeed in a cinema to see the filmic version of The Authenticity Project, which I'm sure is going to happen, isn't it? Uh, well, fingers crossed. Fingers I mean, crossed. I have somebody's sold, got. I've sold the the. I've sold the option. So. Somebody, somebody's got to yeah. take that option and make it into <laughs> a film. It'd be a marvelous film, I think. Fantastic. But Claire, thank you so much. That has been an absolutely brilliant um, thirty thirty five minutes. I've so loved talking to you. And I, I, I can I just say as well, personally, having spent some time with you in the early part of our careers in advertising and. Um, and seeing what you're doing now and seeing the difference that your books are making and reading the stories you're telling to inspire and motivate other people is actually inspiring and amazingly motivating in and of itself. You've, um, you've had a, a, a quite incredible seven years and I genuinely wish you all the luck in the world over the next seven and beyond in finding more stories and making sure that you use your quite obviously brilliant talent to bring those stories to life. And I think the other thing I just wanted to say thank you for is I've learned today two new things. I've learned what a pantser is, which is great. And I've also learned that many, many people around the world have got a fear of cashiers, which I haven't realized. <laughs> so on all fronts, a huge thank you for joining us. Um, you've got a great story and it's definitely a story that matters. Um, and um, the very best of luck with everything. Oh, it's been a pleasure. And I'm very glad this is audio because I'm blushing now. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. It's been delightful to catch up and I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, and, uh, yeah I mean, uh, stories, uh, it, it's, it's a great podcast because, uh, because stories change the world. And on that note, I think we can say cheerio. That's a great way to end. Thanks. Thanks.